What's going on, guys? This is Marvin Light. This is Hassan Trezan. It's your boy, Mo. And welcome to Working Vacation. Real quick, we want to give a quick shout out to our amazing sponsor, Red Owl Boxing. Red Owl Boxing is a fully equipped, state-of-the-art boxing academy located right here in Toronto. It's an incredible boxing facility with boxing classes for all ages. If you're looking to get fit, stay healthy, or build some confidence through some awesome self-defense skills, Red Owl Boxing is the place to be. They are led by the best boxing and fitness instructors in Canada, located right here in the heart of Scarborough, with classes that range from beginner level to advanced. Red Owl Boxing offers something for everyone. Formulated with the perfect combination of boxing, strength, and cardio conditioning intervals, designed to make you look good, feel good, and leave with more than just a great sweat. Check them out today on Instagram, at Red Owl Boxing, to discover your inner champion today. Let's get ready to rumble! All right, so I wanted to talk about the NBA and uh, one of the NBA's young rising stars, LaMelo Ball, who's a rookie who's in the running to become rookie of the year, has been mm-hmm. absolutely on a tear this year. His coach actually had him coming off the bench in the beginning of the season. And actually, this is just a, a quick stat for you guys. Since moving into the starting lineup February 1st, LaMelo Ball has averaged 19.8 points. 6.3 rebounds and 6.3 assists and 1.8 steals. His seven double doubles are more than twice the amount of any other NBA rookies this season. What do you guys think about his game? Do you guys think he's going to win the rookie of the year? I definitely think he's on pace to win it. People thought he couldn't shoot, and he's actually proving a lot of people wrong by showing that he has an amazing, not an amazing jumper, but he has a really good jumper for such a early stage in his career. So we're assuming it'll obviously improve. His playmaking is out of this world. He makes advanced reads and pick and rolls. He's finding cutters. He's finding lob threats. Him and Miles Bridges have been having an amazing connection, and the team is winning. So I definitely think he's on pace to get the award. He has the stats, and he has the team record, and he's putting on a show. He's box office. If we had live ticket sales right now, I'm, I'm sure Charlotte would be. Their games would all be sold, all sold out. out. Without so a doubt. I think it's a win-win for everyone. I don't. I mm-hmm. don't know if the knock was necessarily he couldn't shoot. It was just more about his form was a little bit funky. Well, well, that's part of saying he couldn't shoot, man. He was shooting like 28. Uh-huh. percent the shot was wonky. He was taking a lot of bad shots. If you look at his form, he still has a lot of mechanical it's not fundamentally things that he needs to improve upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a lot better than his brother Lonzo's. At least it's in front of his face. He can shoot it off a pull-up. He can shoot it going left or right. So he didn't have those issues where Zoe, because he brings it to the left side of his face, guys would just literally force Zoe left. And then he, once he goes left, if he tries to pull up, he has to bring it right back around. And then that's an easy strip. So... I definitely think he dispelled those negative ideas or thoughts that people had about him. One thing that I love about his game, Hassan, I'm chime in right now, but one thing I love about this kid's game, it's so seasoned, bro. Like, he is not afraid whatsoever. He's so used to it. And, and it's, it's interesting to me because I'm like, this kid's been playing with professionals for so long, similar to like Luka Doncic, coming right into the league and doing so much damage. And it's crazy to watch, right? Hassan, what do you think about LaMelo Ball's game? A lot of the success he's seeing now is, the fact that he took time for himself to like try and refine his game and now like you were saying like play around professionals a little longer you know instead of hopping straight into the NBA I think a lot of that also is the benefit of having an older brother who had gone through the process had went headfirst already into the NBA had a lot more hype around him had to deal with the Lakers fiasco so he had like a template to kind of learn off of Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to be able to see, you know, someone in your family or like a loved one going into a field that you're also planning to go into and kind of like 
having to deal with the hurdles that you don't necessarily feel like are obstacles to you because they've already been hopped over. Just to close off that point, he's been a prodigy since he was like nine or 10 years old. His mm -hmm. dad has been playing him up. He's been playing with his brother since he was seven or eight. So mm -hmm. I know a lot of people see his success overseas and assume that's the reason why he's become this incredible player. He didn't play that well overseas. You can go look up his stats. He, he wasn't playing he a wasn't lot getting of minutes. A lot of he was minutes. injured. That was a big thing. So the assumption that when he went overseas the first time, I should say, let me make that clear, the first time, that wasn't the thing that kind of springboarded his growth. Him having that growth spurt and having that skill set from a kid from like eight, nine years old playing basketball with kids that are three, four, five years older than you. He was like 13 years old playing on Chino Hills with his two older brothers. So I think that's the part that we kind of ignore, that he's a prodigy. He's shown these skills and abilities from a very young age. The only difference now is he's six seven. he's mature, he's older. And he plays defense, and he's, he's, you know, because I don't know if you guys, he plays I don't know if you guys remember those videos back in the day. Oh my, bro, oh, I, never, I used to cringe, bro. Like, yeah. it was just cherry pick. It was terrible basketball. But For sure. I want to ask you guys, how much of LaMelo's success can we credit LeVar Ball? LeVar caught so much flack for being one of those parents who was constantly pushing his kids and everybody kind of looked at him as one of those kind of helicopter parents. So I wouldn't say he was like that. I think the image was that he was a little bit overbearing and controlling. They felt that Lonzo, specifically Lonzo, I would say, because he was the first one that entered the league. He didn't have a say in his career. He didn't have a say in the things that he was doing. And he would speak up on behalf of his sons, making proclamations like, my son is better than Steph Curry. My son's going to win a championship in his first year. He's going to be the best player in the NBA. He made a lot of these expectations that his son then had to cash in. So I think that's the negative effect. But the positive, in my opinion, is if you compare him to a lot of the past parents, that we've seen in the NBA, they're typically mothers. It's typically a single mother story. And so for him, it's unique when you see like a black father who's so heavily involved in his kids' lives and who's so outspoken. I think that's where a lot of the flack comes from because people aren't accustomed or used to seeing someone like him be present like that. We've had examples in the past, Serena Williams' father, Venus and Serena's father, Tiger Woods' father. So we've had examples in the past. I think it's just a little different in the NBA where we don't necessarily get the marketing or imagery of the fathers being as involved. Very true. But one thing I was going to say was everything this guy does is calculated, bro. Like, it's completely calculated. Like, even when you said it's a negative, when he was saying, my son's going to be better than Steph Curry or my son's going to be better than, like, Michael Jordan. One of the things that he teaches his kids is not having any limiting beliefs. Like, a fundamental thing he always says is, yo, somebody's got to be better than Jordan, bro. Like, why not you? At the end of the day, what he managed to pull off by getting his kids drafted into the NBA and them having success in the way that they've had is the ultimate win. No parent could have asked for any more. That bodes the question, yo, what kind of parent is LaVar? As you guys know, there's, there's four different kind of parenting styles, and I'll be real quick with it, but like one is authoritarian parent, who's like the super disciplinary kind of parent, and I feel like LaVar Ball wrongly gets put into that category. Um, where it's super strict. Then there's kind of like that permissive parent who just kind of lets anything happen. Then there's parents who just really aren't there. Their communication is limited with their child. It's very neglectful. And then you have an authoritative parent. This is kind of like the optimal kind of parenting style where it's kind of clear and high expectations for their kid. People wrongly assume he's like this authoritative parent who's just a disciplinarian, who's just super hard nose. You know what I mean? But in reality, bro, this guy's actually one of the optimal parenting styles. Yo, Mohammed, I want to push this quick question to you, bro. Why is it that with the NBA, the narrative is always kind of like no fathers kind of being a big selling point? 
I think it's what sells, and I think it's what people are accustomed to. And black culture basketball, I would say, is a big part of it. So typically what you see in mainstream media is we get these images of a single mom, kids that are living in an impoverished neighborhood, and that's typically the stories that we see in the NBA. They're more powerful to the audience for them to kind of pick up. So I think that's kind of why you see that narrative being pushed as much. And it breeds sympathy. Like if you watch the NFL or the NBA draft, they make it an emphasis. Whenever one of these kids has a family member that's passed away or a friend, they try to like include all these deep, depressing stories about these kids rather than celebrating them for, for what they've accomplished at this point. So I think that's part of the reason why you'll see that typically. And that's why I think LaVar is so rare because it isn't until now more recently you're seeing more images of fathers with their kids. Uh, Jamal Murray and his dad. Uh, I've seen multiple Kyrie ads Irving, where Kyrie they've Irving. been together. Kyrie Irving and his father. Steph Curry. And just to give Steph you an Curry example. His father, Steph Curry. Exactly. And just to give you a flip side of this, um, if you guys take a look at Jason Tatum when he was initially drafted or a lot of the narrative that they try to push with him is that he grew up in like this single parent, single mother household. When he's really close to his dad, his dad was his basketball coach. His dad was heavily involved in his life. It's become so marketable. We've seen it with LeBron. We've seen it with a lot of these athletes that it's more marketable for them to push that they've had this like struggle or this difficult life than it is to push someone like Zion, who even though it's his stepfather, he has a male figure in his life who's heavily involved. Same thing with how LeVar is, is kind of pushed. So I think that's the reasoning why we see that narrative being But do you think that's uh, just the NBA, out. though? Because, yo, I don't know if you guys see, like, other shows, like, for example, like, I'm not sure if you guys have watched America's no, Got Talent or Brand, no, no, Brand's Got Talent. All the super talented people, for some reason, there was always this sob story. Like, do you think it's just because they're trying to build this Cinderella story where it's just, it kind of resonates in people to kind of feel like, yo, they can make it too it's a, it's a story. Like I said, it happens in the NFL. We see it all the time. It adds sympathy. If you watch these drafts and you hear that a kid has had a parent pass away, their dad's gotten shot or whatever when they were young, you're going to feel a sense of empathy for them and you're going to want to support these people. It's hard to push somebody who we view as having everything, right? If a kid gets drafted and he's filthy rich and everything in his life is going perfectly, it becomes harder for the average person to support them. So I agree with you. I think it's that underdog story. that. And, but that's why Steph Curry... Along. That's why Steph Curry is so marketable. Not because he had it rough. This guy's dad was an NBA player, but because, yo, he's 6'3". He's a skinny kind of athlete. He's a shooter. He's not a super, super duper athletic guy, right? Watch this. If Steph Curry was super rich, tall, athletic, and had a dad that was, like, let's just say Bronny James, he's not going to get that same love that Steph got because we're not going to view him physically as a normal athlete or person. Like we're possible for us. Upbringing is normal. So it's the opposite. Steph, the only yeah. reason he got that he got that caveat was because physicality. That's it. Nothing about his lifestyle is ordinary or average. His no. father was in the NBA. He grew up well off. He has a completely different lifestyle than the average American. But from a visual perspective, when you see him, he looks like the average man. He looks like a Steve Nash. Or even Which is like why he resonates. Why like he resonates. The, average person. the everyday person wants somebody to relate to, something to relate to at the end of the day. And marketing organizations, the NBA, whatever space that these athletes are coming from, they take notice of that. And that's what they're going to promote. To me, the way they do it is, how do we normalize these superhumans? When you see Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis does not look like the average person, the average guy that you're going to run into. I mean, if you see LeBron, he's, he doesn't look like the average person you're going to see or run into. So they create these sob stories to kind of humanize these people in the eyes of the fans, in my opinion, to make them seem more normal, to give them that Steph Curry impression. Even though if we look at their economic and socioeconomic backgrounds, these guys are probably closer in line with the average American lifestyle. We get so caught up on the physical, the visual image. Like, we can even get into skin color with Steph, right? Him being white skin as well, too. That plays a big part into it. 
So I think that's a lot of why the pushback that Lavar gets. We're just not accustomed to baby face assassin. Exactly. It doesn't give us that same sob story. Like when they see Lavar, it's like they want to attack Lamelo exactly. And I think that's the negative part. Bro, Lavar has a strong stance on teaching athletes to understand their self worth. I don't know if you guys remember, bro, but for the longest time, people have been saying, "Yo, NCAA players." need to get paid. They should be getting paid. The fucking NCAA is a billion dollar industry, bro. I don't know if you guys remember the news. After Lithuania, Lamelo Ball wanted to kind of just go home and finish his high school up. In that meantime, LeVar's like, Yo, I'm not going to have my kids just kind of parked. I want them playing basketball. So what he did was he created the JBA, where kids who are not in high school, who could be in college, can go to this league and actually get paid to go to this league. It was a massive void the NCAA had. He was showing these kids like, yo, look at the value of you guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, you should be getting paid from these motherfuckers. It's your talent that's allowing this organization to make this amount of money. Now, you'll see kids not even going to do a year in NCAA. You know what they'll do? If you're that level of top talent, they'll do a year in the G League because now a lot of these kids are understanding their value. He does a great job for his kids, but I would never have my child be managed by LeVar. That's just my opinion. The thing I support with him is, is, hey, if you have your own brand, if you have your own business that you want to market and push, go ahead and do that. My issue with him personally, as far as BBB, is a lot of their shipments were late and delayed. He was using cheap suppliers. The, the shoes were falling apart. They're falling apart on the court while Lonzo was playing on them. And a lot of people had impressions that the shoes were playing a part in his injuries. He was having a lot of ankle injuries, lower, lower leg injuries. So in my opinion, I love the concept and idea that he's pushing forward. And I think that someone's going to come along in the future who's going to be able to properly execute it. I just don't think he's done the best job. We've already seen that uh, his business partner was taking money away from him. Lonzo's already decided to go with Clutch Sports, and now I think he's signing with Nike. LaMelo learned from that, and he signed with Puma. So the mindset and the idea, I think, is great. I just think the execution on LaVar's part wasn't the best because we saw the reviews on the shoes. They weren't that great. The shoes themselves weren't that great. So I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and I don't, I don't want to necessarily credit him too much for that. I think the push to be more independent, I like, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's a trendsetter as far as it comes to the apparel area. The one thing I would give him credit for is the G League, the new league that they have where the Ignite team with the top prospects who they put on that one team and now are playing against other G League teams. If he didn't do the JBA, I agree 100%. The NBA would have never done that. The NCAA wouldn't be thinking about changing some of the branding rights if LeVar didn't do the JBA. Shout out to LeVar Ball because... He's, he's something we haven't seen in the NBA and we're not really accustomed to. I give him all the props in the world, but let's not give him, let's not give him cookies for what he's supposed to do. So I think the issue here that I think we faced is that it's great what he's doing, but we shouldn't put him on this pedestal as being this like perfect example of father. Yeah. You're supposed mm-hmm. to do that. You're supposed to take care of your kids. There's nothing unique or special about that. Uh, 100%. I think the cool thing with him is just the imagery and that being promoted more. I think the fact that he's so outspoken it's created an avenue where we're seeing this become more of a, a spotlighted thing. Like I said, R.J. Barrett and his father showcasing them during the draft. Zion Williamson and his father. Jamal Murray and his dad. We're seeing it more prominent now where before you'd very rarely see these kids' fathers. A lot of these players, I didn't even know they had dads, which is messed up. And I think now the NBA has become cognizant of that and then marketing and branding have become cognizant that it's important to show these uh kind of relationship just to clarify when i say something that we're not accustomed to i meant the narratives that the league pushes we're not accustomed to seeing so thank you for that but you're 100 correct this is something every father should do point blank period you know what i mean 
the next combo that we wanted to get into is we obviously have seen on the news, Meek's been trending a lot with the 6 9 issue, and then obviously most recently the lyrics that he released. I guess it was a snippet of a song that's supposed to come out, Little Baby, and he made mention of Kobe Bryant. And a lot of people saw it as like an insensitive lyric. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, if he's ever caught lacking, he's going to go out with his chopper like Kobe. The interpretation that I have of that is he's basically saying, if I ever get put in a situation where I'm lacking, someone catches or puts me in an uncomfortable situation, I'm going to go out like Kobe. I'm going to go out and die alleged. Obviously, the rest of the world and his wife didn't view it that way. So we wanted to get into a larger conversation uh, about, obviously, the lyric and your thoughts on that, but then also Meek's perception in the media. How much of it does he play a part in it? And how much is it that hip-hop's audience has changed and shifted and that the streets don't necessarily run hip-hop anymore? It's middle America. It's kids who follow academics who are the ones that run the culture. What are your thoughts on that, guys? We did say the more we see like news like this and people going back and forth on social media and a lot of these back and forth kind of being for attention, we did say that rap is starting to feel like WWE. <laughs> and if... Meek Mill was a WWE character. Who would you say he is? He's definitely an Undertaker. He's definitely an Undertaker. He comes back from the dead every single time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, that's, 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 good. that's good. And that's he comes good. back that's from good. the dead every He's definitely time. the Undertaker. That's fucking funny. But, 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 but the thing is, to play into that now, right? In real life, he's marketed himself as the Undertaker. He constantly keeps coming back from career self-destruction or like whatever you want to call it. But online, I feel like people view him as like someone that they feel like that they can punk. I kind of disagree with you a little bit there because what is the internet? And I think me and Mahad have had convos about this before. What is the internet? Who are these people that are trolling him? In my opinion, the people that matter to Meek and his audience base and the genre that he speaks to, they don't attack him. Little Baby's not mocking him. Uh, little Dirk is not mocking him. The people that matter, they, they're not the ones that are against him, right? It's middle America. It's kids that follow academics. And then I made this analogy. Academics is like his Skip Bayless, right? If LeBron James got caught up with Skip Bayless and all the trolls, LeBron would be a fool. So what I'm saying to you is, Meek, I think at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't affect him because the people that are attacking him don't matter to him. They don't affect his music. They don't affect his livelihood. They don't matter in his world. He's not going to interact with these people on, the, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Someone reposting a video of him falling down his stairs, someone reposting a picture of him having fries on his lap, that's not going to affect or ruin his life or change his career. Him getting robbed, him getting stabbed, him getting physically punked in person, those are things that, that are going to affect his career long term. Which you, so that's my which you don't see, there. but obviously he's university, universally respected, but especially in Philadelphia, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of people resonate with his kind of story. But my one problem with him is like, he just talks too much. You know what I'm trying to say? Like in a way where it's, um, you know, if Meek feels some type of way about some shit, he's 100% airing it out. Whether it's Twitter, there's no holding back how he feels. You know, what I mean? He's too transparent. He's way too, he's too transparent. transparent. I know you would call it, yo, he's way too real. He's way too real, right? This is my the fact issue. that he does it so no, this... much, it's like he has a certain level of responsibility Name? why he gets trolled the way he gets trolled. So you're making it appear as if he gets online He's upset that day. He just picks someone and he picks a fight with them. So name me the internet. Whenever you're a grown-ass man subtweeting on the internet fucking multiple times. But that's the problem. You can't even think of it off the top of your head. But I've so seen you, it a bunch of times. Already, that's but that's part of it. 
That's part, Hassan, can you at least see where I'm coming from? That's part no, of the problem I see right where there. You're, I see where you're coming from, but... He can't even name the people. He's, but, 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 he's just but putting in his mind. But let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest. That's yeah. everybody's attention span these days. So much shit happens every day that people just don't care to, like, just retain that. But they do remember the feeling. They remember the feeling of being like, oh, again? Really? Again? All but right, cool. At the same time, though, it's the internet. No matter what he does, I understand what Mohammed's saying. Like, no matter yeah. what he does, he's going to get some form of trolling. The best way I could explain it to you, bro, is like, it's like kind of like Kevin Durant. You know what I'm saying? Like, Kevin Durant has no need to comment on a lot of the stuff that he comments on on Twitter. You know what I'm saying? The man even created a secondary handle, fam, just so he could comment. A burner account. He could, yeah, man created yeah, yeah. a burner account just to respond to this shit. You know what I'm trying to say? And it's okay. Like, he's sensitive to that stuff. I, I'll admit myself, bro, sometimes I'm a little bit sensitive. I'm quite a sensitive person. You know what I mean? So I might be quite reactive. We all are. All humans That's what I'm are. saying. But who Meek is, is not always the same as kind of his perception. Yo, he's a thorough dude, bro. He's heavily respected. You know what I mean? But he engages in shit he does not even need to engage in. You know what I'm saying? On a platform that he's clearly not good at. Exactly. We've discussed it. And he's if, not good at And it. if you're he's engaging with DJ enough. Academics, first of all, yo, you add a couple of uh, WWE characters for these niggas. Yo, who do you guys think DJ Academics is if he was a WWE character? Yeah, you're Paul Heyman, 100%. I think he's Jerry Lawler. You guys know Jerry Lawler? Like the nigga? <laughs> you guys know Jerry Lawler? <laughs> the announcer? He's 100% he's Jerry Lawler, bro. And then yeah. 6 9 is definitely Sting. That nigga's definitely... You guys remember Sting with the mask? No, 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 no. 6 9 is gold dust. Let's keep it up. <laughs> 6 9 is gold dust. He's a troll. But back to the convo, I agree with you guys 100%. When you're a public brand, regardless if it's an artist or a business, you got to protect yourself and, and protect your brand as a whole. You don't want to engage yourself in things that you can't win in. Because I agree 100%. He's not witty enough and he's not quick enough to be able to handle Twitter. He comes from a background, a very street background. And typically those guys, they're not good comedians. Like if you're trying to find someone who's funny, you're not going to go pick up a dude off the street. They live a very serious lifestyle. So for them, they take a lot of things very personally. He comes from a different background. So I agree there 100%. He shouldn't be engaging with someone like academics whose specialty is being a narrator, whose specialty is being an orator. It's speaking. Academics makes money by speaking and creating videos. So the more you engage with him, you just give him more ammunition to create content around you. I agree with you guys 100% there. My only issue with the way that he's perceived or the way that we perceive some people is we don't give a fair shake for everyone. We put certain artists or certain individuals in boxes, whether they've put it on themselves or not, we don't apply that same pressure to other artists, right? So back to the 6ix9ine issue. A lot of people were upset that he didn't physically respond. He didn't beat 6ix9ine up on the spot, even though this guy is a federal informant. My issue with that is, is we have a lot of rappers who have stories and narratives about being street that if we do our homework on, I'm not going to say the names right now, but if we do our homework on, we're going to see that they're not legitimate. Or if we measure them on the street standards that we hold these people to, they don't meet those standards. And my issue is in our in hip hop culture specifically, we uphold these people for being gangsta, right? We give them clout. We give them a career for for promoting these sort of images. But then on the flip side, when you really look at some of these guys' backgrounds, they're not who they say they are. You and I both know that's not what he's being judged off of. There's being judged off of his interactions on the internet, specifically post-2015, after the Drake loss. I feel like people perceive that this is how he behaves on the internet. You can get him upset. And people like academics or whatever who would never say this to his face now feel emboldened to... Academics wouldn't say this to anyone's face. To anyone's face. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's be clear. But I mean, he represents an entire community of internet people that like run the engagement on how hip hop is discussed online these days. Right? That's what I'm saying. 
They're emboldened to speak this way to him because they know they can get him upset. In social media, it's all about getting reactions. Facts. And Facts. that's the whole playbook in social media. Now, if you want to piggyback off of someone's celebrity, all you need to do is get a reaction from that celebrity. Exactly. So let me put some props on Academic's name. Academic has a very big platform and he's very influential in hip hop. So I can understand why him and Meek would have issues. This isn't the first time a rapper has had issues with a media publication. The only difference is there's a face associated with it, right? So if I had a problem with the way XXL was covering my music or covering hip hop as a whole, I would attack the publication. Maybe I'd look up who the editor is or maybe it's a specific writer. With Academic, he is the entire brand. So it's a little different, right? If we look at a lot of these rappers, the reason these industry beefs, I'm not talking about you beefing with someone in your city. I'm talking about industry beefs like Tupac versus Biggie, these type of beefs. They're heavily pushed by media publications. Yeah, Vibe pushed Everyone that Everyone that knows the East Coast, West Coast beef, Vibe pushed that. Vibe, Vibe magazine pushed that, that beef. That's a fact. Academics does the exact same thing. I'm not saying he's. I'm going to hold him responsible for the violence that occurs in hip-hop. But what he does is, when it comes to these industry beeps, he puts them on a spotlight and he instigates. Yeah, he, feel, he fuels he, the fire. He fuels the narrative. But yo, fam, an instigator so, is only usually going to instigate to a person they know is going to react. He only has issues with DJ academics because academics is the only one that has the war on Chirac. Mahat Hassan, we all have friends that have grown up in our community that have passed away to gun violence or just passed away in general growing up in the hood. How would you guys feel if some guy in Montreal was making videos called The War on Toronto and he's mocking your dead homies or your dead friends? How would you feel? We literally live in a fucking society, bro, where people feel like it's okay to poke a bear. They don't give a fuck about the consequences because you know what? Because it's on camera, they feel like they're safe. You said something that's true. DJ Academics, he's like the Skip Bayless for what's it called, Meek Mill. When we talk Skip Bayless, Skip Bayless, he's notorious for hating on who? LeBron James. That's where your comparison comes from, right? And LeBron James used to do the same shit, the back and forth. But at the same time, Academics is a media person. He gets fucking paid to talk about Meek Mill. Skip Bayless, the same thing. He gets fucking paid to talk about LeBron James. The more wild the shit he says, the more clicks he gets. You understand? Do you know when LeBron James actually fully elevated his game? When he stopped giving a fuck about the whole GOAT debate or what Skip Bayless was going to say on a regular basis, he stopped giving a fuck about people's opinion. My only disagreement and with the LeBron James case is LeBron's never publicly acknowledged Skip Bayless's existence. He's never, I don't think he's ever tweeted. I don't think he's ever said Skip in a sentence. But he's talked right? about him on many occasions, but he just didn't say his name. No, he's never, no. He's, he's never responded to shit that he he's said. Never, he's never responded to him. That, that's why you made a good point about that one. Like, I get it. If you ignore the troll and you just let it kind of live on, on and of itself, it'll get removed from your narrative, right? Like, the more successful he became, Skip became a smaller part of it, right? The way LeBron cured the Skip issue, the public narrative issue that Skip was pushing negatively about him, because he does care about the GOAT thing. He called himself a GOAT two years ago in a video, said after 2016, yeah, yeah. I'm the GOAT. He mentions the GOAT shit all the time. So he cares about being the GOAT and being referred to as the GOAT. So mm -hmm. if that's his, if that's his narrative, and maybe Meek's narrative is, I don't like academics. I don't like the way he's covering me. I don't like his impact on hip hop. I'm sure LeBron has the same feelings about Skip. He doesn't like the way Skip damages his image and also the effect that he has on like just sports and basketball media period. I don't think he likes the discourse that Skip creates. So you're right. The LeBron strategy is the best one. Ignore, ignore, do not even acknowledge this person. But I think the second step as well is LeBron's been smart enough to get people like Shannon Sharp. He's been smart enough to get people like Richard Jefferson, Kendrick Perkins, basically third party mouthpieces that aren't directly connected to him 
that speak on his behalf, that defend him. So these narratives don't get the same wings that they get with Meek Mill. So I would say in his instance, and it's funny, academics actually mentioned this to him. He's like, instead of treating us media guys like dirt, why don't you find an academics for yourself? Why don't you find one that can dis- that kind of your disseminate praise, your, your messaging? Exactly. Disseminate your messaging. Because right now, what he doesn't realize is he's not going to win. And I agree with you. You're not going to win the media war with academics because that's academics world. He lives in that world. Honestly, the more you engage with him, the more you feel him. And, the that, more you and give that's him all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Not whether, you know, he drags himself into this and that with other rappers or whatever. It's academic specifically. It's helping him grow. It's helping yeah. him remain relevant. And to touch off of what Muhammad was saying earlier, like we all feel to a certain degree, like some type of like dismissiveness towards academics because we know how he came up. We know the community that he disrespected to get to the point that he's at now. And we know the lives that he played with and the names that he used to, to further himself. Mm-hmm. And that's my problem. I'm not defending I'm problem. not defending that man at all. I'm saying just like how you take a look at your landscape and you see who's who and what's what and what not to involve yourself with and what wars you're not going to win. This on the internet, this back and forth on the internet with academics is not something Meek is going to win. If he's not prepared to take the steps you were saying, like get somebody to speak on his behalf and say, positive things that maybe the rest of the media space isn't covering like that or just ignore academics i'm saying if he's not willing to take those steps and continues employing the same tactics like subtweet or respond to academics every time he aggravates him or says something that's untrue or whatever or out of context right you're gonna keep getting the same results it's actually academics that mentions him more academics makes videos constantly of him on, on youtube mentions him on twitch so I agree with you guys there. I just get where Meek's coming from. And I think in the long run, and I want to get your opinion on this. I want to move the conversation forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the long run, how do you guys feel academics career will, will grow? Because in my opinion, I think a lot of people have this view that he's just going to last forever. And I actually think the complete opposite. Because what I realized, and it happened with Charlemagne as well, too, he's going to reach an age where his fan base are going to mature and the stuff that he provides them isn't going to... It's be relevant to their anymore. lives anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be relevant to their lives. Like even me, I stopped watching Charlamagne because I got to a point where the adult trolling it just wasn't as funny for me anymore. I wanted, I needed something with a little bit more substance. So that's why you've seen the rebranding with Charlamagne, where he's ironically now focusing on like mental health and health and wellness. Guys, who would he be as a WWE character? Who he literally Charlamagne? Charlamagne. Oh, he went from like a heel. He went from like a heel to just like the the super good guy. Charlemagne? Uh, he's, he's an instigator. He's definitely an instigator. He's an instigator for at sure. Heart. He no, I he feel like he's an instigator at heart. Like deep down, he's an instigator. But he, you know, right he now. He no, no, but he, but he needs a. He, he changed. Hmm. He changed. So he what I'm saying to you he guys did. is where do you think academics is going to go then? Where do you think his future is as far as hip hop media? As you said, it's probably going to dwindle. You know what I mean? Right now, it's currently stagnant. It makes sense for me, Chris, to respond because these dudes are crossing lines and boundaries. You never thought a man, another man would ever cross without like something happening. No, like certain things these guys say, it's not cool, it's not cool like, whatsoever. These are real people that are dying. Yeah. These are kids 13, 14. Like, bro, if we put into context... Yeah. That Warren Chirac is probably one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen on YouTube. Dude, he, he was means, in New Jersey yeah, making yeah. videos, mocking these kids. And, and and he literally, this is him. This is how he'll describe it to you. It was satire. Bro, there's no satire that's, involved. That's not satire, with kids bro. killing each other. Academics basically sold his soul for clout, fam. Any piece of honor and respect, he threw it out the window for clout. Hip-hop and that whole street culture, the way it originated, it's completely global now. And everybody has access to it and everybody has an opinion on it. 
a lot of people who, yep. who didn't come from the streets, a lot of people who don't understand that lifestyle. They just they want to feel like it, you know what I mean? But they don't understand that life. No, they have a voice now. They right? have no, a yeah, voice yeah. now. There's certain people you got to be careful with what you beef with. And I think academics, he has barbs of his own. His following, his fan base, whatever he calls them, the chat niggas. Call, no demons, way bro. he calls them that shit. No <laughs> yes, fucking he way. Yes, he, he, call the yes, he, he calls he them the chat niggas? This is the subculture we're talking about. His audience are like 13 to, I would say, 17-year-olds who live in the burbs. There's this one Vince Staples video. I'll find the title for it specifically. The whole video is a Google map, and it's Vince in his hood in Long Beach or whatever, right? And then it zooms out at the end of the video, and it's a white kid literally exploring this hood as he's listening to the song via Google Maps. These are the kids that listen to academics. These are the kids that follow him. They Google Maps no, at, at places that they've never been. They Urban Dictionary everything. They know every hood. They know what people are saying, what they're talking about. They're promoting all this fucked up shit, but have no connection to it. They get to sleep in their suburban home, but push that and aggravate people and try to get something to happen every day. They fantasize, fam. Like, they fantasize living in the streets and being a thug, but nobody really wants to live that lifestyle. And sometimes I think they forget that these are real human beings. And that's the part that I don't like. And Mahad, you made a good point. They look at these people almost like zoo animals or circus acts for their entertainment. And that's my issue. And that's why I think Meek, for example, has such an issue with someone like academics. I think he's problematic. I think his contributions to hip hop are not positive. No, they're so not. that's why I'm curious. Where is he going to go in the long run? Like, where is this going to go? Right? Like, Drill music is going to continue, but his coverage specifically, are we going to evolve the way we cover this music and how it's seen? Because I personally think it is going to evolve a little bit. I think it's going to get to a point where we've lost so many of these rappers and it's become real. Like these guys are dying. We've seen Pop Smoke. We've seen X. When does it get to a point where enough is enough? Obviously, it's not going to age well the same way this is. I think it's not going to age well. It's popping for the moment. No, you know what it is? You know what's going to happen? History's not going to look well on academics. No, he doesn't at realize all. that. At all. At all. He, it's not going to look well on him at all. And, and that's why I caution people. He like sold him. his soul for clout, when bro. You, when you take the stance of, of being a shock jock, looking for clickbait, in the short run, you're going you're gonna to benefit from it. You're going to build a career. You're going to build a platform. But I think in the long run, history's not going to look at you positively. I think if Charlemagne, for example, into his 40s, uh, late 30s, continued being the troll that he was when he first started out working with Wendy Williams and The Breakfast Club, I don't think his career progresses as far as it has right now. He doesn't have the book deals. He doesn't have uh, the brand new black podcast network that he started uh, with iHeart. You see what I'm saying? These things don't happen. If 6 9 passes away, all these rappers that academics pitted himself against... They're smoking that rainbow pack. Are, they're smoking him next. Right? They're not gonna give him access. They're not gonna give him interviews. They're gonna run they're gonna suck him dry. The way six nine engages with academics is what academics wants. He doesn't just want to cover you. He wants to get exclusive interview access. He wants you to comment on his page. That's one of the main reasons why him and Meek have beef. He feels like Meek uses academics as like a tool. Like post my song, promote me. And I think what academics doesn't realize is that's what you're for. You're a media person. These guys are not supposed to be your friends. And I think he he mixes that up a little bit too much. And I think befriending someone like 6ix9ine, he gives academics a level of access that no one else has, which is profitable for him because he's going to get clicks and engagements each time he has exclusive content that's 6ix9ine based. But I think in the long run, you create a lot of enemies. You create industry enemies and you create rap enemies. So now if your cash cow isn't around anymore, how are you going to get that same level of engagement? If all these other artists, you've pissed them off and now you don't have the cash cow to lean on. Right. Mm. Or if 6ix9ine is still around, how do you clean up that image? Like I said, if Charlemagne kept going the way he was going before, he wouldn't get a book deal. There was a transition at some point where he consciously made the choice to like, all right, 
in order to reach this next level, I have to do this. And, and it was a conscious effort. I'm glad you said that because I don't was. think he just, he did it on purpose. Uh, of course. He completely changed his personality. He went from being like this shock jock pervert who is liable to say anything who had no filter to now he's speaking on mental health and anxiety, things that don't necessarily match up with his previous image. Because as a content creator, we can all agree, you can only cover other people for so long. You have to get to a point where you do interviews, there's more interactive content that yeah. requires partnerships and connections. And I think he's burning a lot of bridges that in the long run, in my opinion, I think the negative image that he's receiving in the industry isn't worth it just for 6 9 Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that mindset where they feel like I'm outside the matrix. I'm doing whatever I want to do. But they don't realize like there's no such thing as outside the matrix, dude. We all live in this you world. You still live a real life. Yeah. Society, mm -hmm. yeah. Like you can't just choose to log out of society, bro. As much as you try, you can be an entrepreneur. The world is always going to affect but that's you. That's what I'm saying, You're like how people get the internet and real life mixed up now more than ever. Like it's really synonymous to some people sometimes in how they behave and how they move. There's certain things that I won't do and I have certain morals and values. And I get it. It's media you're covering people. But yeah, like I don't think we should trivialize death and turn it into like satire or humor. Uh, like Weird Al Yankovic, he's making parodies of like funny songs or you know what I mean? He's not making parodies about real life events where people are passing away. And I think that's another issue that I have is if academics tried to do the war on Chirac and it was around the death of like other groups or white people, he would get so much backlash. He wouldn't even be able to put those videos up. But for whatever reason, it's okay for him to do the same thing with when it comes to our black youth and them dying in the streets, which I'm just completely against. The conversation we want to get into is the effects that being institutionalized has on you once you get out the period that it takes for you to kind of adapt to being back, kind of catching up to things and that process and how difficult that can be in our, in our views on that. And then also how we kind of view the consequences of your decision, where we look at someone like Bobby who decided to take the six-year bid, take a longer sentence so his friend Rowdy could take less time. What are the consequences and benefits of each decision? And then also how that's going to play out in the long run and how we perceive it as a media. So what happened with the Bobby Smurda case? If you could just refresh us. From what I think it was, it was a conspiracy charge because it was like a gang and conspiracy charge. When these rappers blow with a specific song, it's not that police just start following them when they start rapping. These guys were probably on the cops radar prior to that. It's just now they have a bigger platform. So you hear about it. How do you guys think? being in prison that long what's the effect when you come out in that transition period of trying to adapt to society one thing that i do like is that he's getting quite a bit of support from like outside people and people are like giving him money you know what i'm saying they're holding him down so that he could come back up a lot of people are posting it on social media whether they're doing it for clout or not it's still positive you know but i, I really respect the people who are just nicing him and not really posting it you know what i'm saying like muhammad you were talking about something where you're like like a lot of people who've been in jail for a long bids they're kind of doomed to go back in. What were you saying? Because we had a conversation about this before. If you look at statistics, majority of these people who commit crimes and are convicted and are felons, they typically are right back in the system. When it, within a repeat few months, offenders. Three years, repeat repeat offenders. offenders, exactly. And the reason for that is, is when you go into jail for that prolonged period of time, especially at a young age, which a lot of people in our communities, uh, that's the situation that they end up in. You're going in at like 15, 16 into the system, depending on where you're at, if it's in Canada or somewhere in Europe or or the United States or wherever, you're going to be in the system from a very young age. They know who you are. And inevitably, you're going to reach a certain age where you're going to be tried as an adult and you're going to have to go to actual prison. If you've lived that lifestyle from such a young age, it's going to have an effect on you as a person and your development. And in my opinion, and some people might disagree, it's going to stunt your growth. 
So what I mean, stunt your growth is we've seen the movies and the films and we know people who've gone in and because of so much free time that they have now that they can't really fill with other things, they start to become scholars to some degree. They start to read and educate themselves on different subjects. The only issue that I bring up is that's not always the case for everyone. And for those who do, it's usually in a particular area. There's like a theme or a thing that they focus in on that they really try to like chase. The issue that I feel like that happens is while you're in that system, when you do things day after day, like the 10,000 hour rule, it becomes a habit, right? If you're in a place where you're surrounded by other convicted murders, felons for different crimes, theft, grand larceny, child molestation, rapists, like the worst type of people ever, and that's your only people that you're interacting with, it's going to have uh, an effect on you as a person. So my perspective is, cool, there might be people in there that are good-hearted, that just got caught up in some stuff, but there's going to be a lot of people that are in there because they have a dark heart. You're going to pick up a lot of those tendencies and energies, and you're going to release that out into the world. And for me, it stunts your growth because you might grow in certain areas, but I don't think you grow as a person and a human because you're not subjected to normal life. You're not subjected to honest and regular people. You're dealing in a place where it's a dog-eat-dog world. And especially if, you, if you're if you a jailbird or someone who keeps going in, your life revolves around crime. Your life revolves around negativity. So it's hard for me to think that you're not going to be stuck in a place in some degree. So when you get out and you've been gone for six years and you run into your friend that you... It's that, that time name, shift. It's that time shift. You remember them shift. as they were. You remember them as they were. So you act, you almost kind of subconsciously act within that range. And that's how you interact with people because that's how they know you. So you fall back into that. And to me, that stunts your growth in some ways. Like obviously as an adult, you're going to grow. You're going to pick up certain adult habits. But a part of you is still going to be stuck in that place because that six-year gap, everyone else got to move forward with their lives. And all you had within that time is those memories of those past people. I disagree. Like, So a lot of people, bro, generally, they mature in jail, but it's not because of the prison system. It has everything to do with themselves. You know what I mean? And if they regress, it's because of the prison system. It has nothing to do with themselves. You know what I mean? So there's a flip side to that. Like, me How is that fair, though? How is that fair, though? Because it, it's like the reverse, right? Like, it is the reverse. That. If they move forward, it's not because of the prison. Like, if they, when they mature mentally because they have no fucking choice, they're in a position of survival, it's because of themselves. It's because of their strong will. If no, they regress mean, back to some be bullshit, it's because of the prison system. I'll elaborate. I'll elaborate. So, for example, bro, like me personally, bro, like I have a lot of family members that have been in and out of the prison system. You know what I'm saying? And some of them have even been in the prison system in the States, which is a whole nother fucking ballgame, bro. And and I'm not going to front like I've been in jail ever. You know what I'm saying? But I've dealt with police on so many occasions I can't even count. The scary thing with jail, bro, from my outside experience is that, bro, it's like this fucking monster that tries to keep you there, bro. A lot of niggas have to learn how to fucking survive, dog. It's doggy dog, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, the scary thing is when you eventually leave jail. The problem with jail, bro, is incarceration, it doesn't treat the problem. It doesn't rehabilitate anybody. It's not there for that. If anything, it's the new form of slavery. All these people that are working in prison, fam, they're working fucking for pennies a day, bro, for private prisons that are making hundreds of millions of dollars like it doesn't even make any sense dog you know what i'm saying so they're fully dependent on the outside world but they're fully isolated from the outside world that's number one number two a big reason why a lot of these guys end up coming back is because there's a huge lack of employment when they come out but it's not because of them not trying to find a job if you think of fucking society bro society literally pins you as a convict it's stapled to your chest 
So even if you served your fucking 10-year bid, you served your 15-year bid, no matter what it is, no matter what, you're always in that fucking system, which is bullshit. It depends. Certain things need to stay on your, on your record. If you're like a child molester, niggas need to know that shit. Like, that's some scary shit. So certain things need to stay on your record, like if you're a murderer or whatever. But there's certain things, bro, if you serve your bid, because that staple of convict is attached to you, it's so fucking difficult to find a job. And because you can't even earn money for your goddamn self to support yourself, guess what you go right back into? Survival mode. You know what I'm saying? If you're not earning income to survive, you're going to have to resort down to your most basic instincts. You're going to be stealing. You're going to be robbing, right? Because that's all you can do to survive, right? And on top of that, bro, the thing that pisses me off the most, and especially in our community, especially in the black community, how much it costs for mental health rehabilitation. We live in a country called Canada where, where our health care is actually supposed to be free. In the States, it's like a whole nother ballgame. But even in a country where it's supposed to be free, mental health is not free. So you have these people who have been incarcerated for this extended period of time who need to be mentally rehabilitated back into society because it's really important for them. They can't even afford it, my God. They can't even get a job. They can't afford mental health. So it's just like, fuck, you fall right back into depression, you fall right back into sadness, and you get overwhelmed by society, and that's why most of these guys are repeat offenders. It's not because of them, bro. It's because the fucking prison system is a monster that's trying to devour you, bro, to pull you right back in. Like, I'll give you, like, a small example, bro. I'm not even going to go too personal with it, but I have a family member. Like, he's serving, like, a seven-year bid. You know what I'm saying? Still in there. And he's in Texas. For those who know Texas, bro, there's a three-strike rule. Three strikes, bro, you're serving life. So what's going to happen is you're going to be in prison and niggas are going to try you. But I'm assuming, again, this is an outside perspective. You can't show that you're a punk, so you have to show niggas, like, you got to show niggas what's up. Or niggas are going to try to bully you and bully you and bully you. Two twos, you already came in there for one strike. Now somebody tries to come at you. Now you got to make them an example. Now you got your second strike. Now you're doing two, three more years on top, whatever it is. And it's even more debilitating if it's just like, fuck, it's, it's really, you can't really help people who you're close to in those kind of positions, you know? But the whole thing with the Bobby Shmurda, bro, you know what I'm saying? I hope the world welcomes him and I hope he doesn't go back, bro. And I hope he becomes successful with his shit. No, I agree. There's a lot of dudes that get charged for multiple uh, crimes and acts in prison just trying to like kind of survive that end up spending more time or having their sentences increased. I completely understand that. And my point is when those people inevitably do get out, it does have a lasting effect on them. And part of that effect is when they interact with the people who they knew as a child, it's hard for them to catch up because they're so far behind with technology. They're so far behind with society as a whole, just social norms. They're so behind with entertainment, uh, language, like things that you would, you would deem just as like typical regular things. They're behind on those things. And it can have a mental effect on you when everybody that you've known has completely changed or altered or in a new space in their life and you're kind of trapped where you were before so that's what i was referring to as far as that age part because like i said i have cousins that have gone through that system and have had experiences there and like i had a cousin who got out and the first thing he wanted to do was play 2k 13 because that's when he went in at the first time i know and it's a small thing for you guys like he just wanted to play the game it was 2017 at the time 2k 14 15 16 came out he wanted to play that year because that's what he was comfortable with. And I slowly realized like a part of him was stuck in his past life. So that's kind of my perspective as far as the age thing. And that's, that's why I brought that up.
yeah, time works differently for you when you're away. They're separated from everything that we experience, like moments, songs, experiences, travels. They don't get to experience those things. School. I was going to say that's why it was important with what Marvin was saying with the people around Bobby, the people around anyone that's coming out of prison and for a long extended period of time that's coming back into the world and trying to integrate and for them to try and make the transition as easy as possible and like be as understanding as possible and know that this isn't going to be like a simple thing. You know, it's going to take time. You know, as long as he has like a good support system around him, then he should be okay. Of course, we have to consider too, he's a celebrity. So he has access to things that the regular everyday person doesn't. And that's the, that's the difference. All right. We want to thank you guys uh, for tuning in. We sincerely appreciate you guys. I go by the name of Marvin Light. I go by Hassan Shazam. My name is Mo. And this is Working Vacation. Peace. <laughs>